Welcome to the Artistic Finance Podcast, where we break down the wall between art and money. If you're here looking for how to be an artist and financially sustain a career, you're in the right place. Keep listening and join us as we learn about artists and how they make money work for them. Hello, everyone. This is your host, Ethan Steimel, here for a bonus episode 19.1. Thank you for being here, and a special thanks to our Patreon patrons. Patrons get early access to episodes, as well as bonus content and discounts to our gift shop. If you aren't a patron but want to help, please find Artistic Finance on YouTube and subscribe. It doesn't seem like a lot, but it helps us toward our goal of 1,000 subscribers, which will allow us to run ads on our videos. This episode is with our guest, Ariel Estrada. He is a freelance grant writer in New York City and has raised over $500,000 in funding for small not-for-profit arts groups. Ariel is also an accomplished Fortune 500 and Inc. 5000 level communications designer and social media strategist. He is currently the Diversity and Inclusion Coordinator at Actors' Equity Association and was previously the Manager of Communications and Community Engagement for the Asian American Arts Alliance. Without further ado, let's get to our interview. Welcome, Ariel Estrada, to the podcast. Hi, Ethan. Thank you for inviting me. This is great. And I'm just going to say that this is August 24th, 2020, that we're recording this on. So we're amidst the COVID-19 pandemic and also Black Lives Matter reawakening going on. Yes. And we're all sheltering in place here in New York City. Grant writing. So I noticed that you are a grant writer. I'm just curious how that works. Like, how much do you get paid to be a grant writer And do you work with anybody or do you focus on like certain grants that you're like, oh, I know about this grant so I can be your grant writer for this? Again, one of the many ways that I've had to learn to support my acting career uh, was to learn how to be a grant writer. And I have raised about 500,000 or so dollars worth of funding for very small arts organizations, including my own. Uh, but I also work, have worked with a professional choir named Coral Chameleon, a small off-off Broadway company called Phoenix Theater Ensemble. I've worked for uh, for a dance organization, it's various arts organizations, and it's mostly city grants that I, and New York State grants that I've applied for. I have applied for some national grants and have won some of those as well, including the NAA and whatnot. So the answer is about yes, I apply for anything. Um, because grant writing is sort of a very specific skill that could be applied to anything, uh, any grant. But I'm most familiar with like neighborhood grants and and city grants, neighborhood city and state grants. The bigger the organization, the more (laughs) more work it is. So say I'm a nonprofit in Missouri. There's a there's a grant I can apply through for the Missouri grant. Could I email you (laughs) and say, Ariel, can I hire you to fill out a proposal for this grant? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it would have to like do a lot of if I don't know the organization, I would have to have I have to do a lot of research, including a lot of a lot of talk about like, what do you want to propose? What are you guys about? What's your mission? All that stuff. Do you have any pre-existing grants that you've written before? So I can like repurpose some of that material, right? Because often with a lot of these organizations that I have written grants for, I've also been an artist for them as well. So I understood the work. Yeah. Like I knew the work very well, so I didn't have, there was a bit of a shorthand there. I knew their work, I knew their mission, I knew the people that they serve. And I'm able to translate that into the sort of fantasy writing that sometimes grant writing is, uh, particularly around the finances in a grant, because in grant writing so much of it is sort of future projection of your budget. It's like, who knows what your budget's going to be, right? So it's, I mean, you have a fairly decent idea, 
but often you have to like do this sort of very idealized view of like how what your year-to-year -year growth is going to be in order to justify a certain level of granting and then plus you know a lot of it it's also it's this very interesting mix of marketing speak where you're really sort of like singing your own praises and tooting your own horn but it's also very journalistic as well you have to back all that stuff with like here's the facts right and then they are often incongruous and you have to like figure out a way to make them fit uh, and make that narrative fit that is actually a pretty specific skill because narrative writers don't know how to do the, the fact checking or the journalistic style of writing and the journalists often can't write prose that are very sort of self well, I wouldn't say self-aggrandizing, but self-congratulatory, self let's put it that way, right? And, uh, and for that skill, if it's a large organization with lots and lots of funding, you know, that's usually around the $100 an hour mark for me, anywhere from $75 to $100 mark for me. But since I'm working with like very, very small arts organizations who have barely have two dimes to rub together, right? I'll go like, I will do, um, the ceiling there is usually $25 an hour. And then if they're really bad off, like if I look at their budget and they go, they can't afford you. You will pity them. <laughs> yeah, they can't afford me. I'll just give them some flat rate and I will go like 5 to $10 an hour for those folks. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to cut that part out and not say that out loud. <laughs> well, no, I mean, you can put that in if you want. I'm like, look, these are small arts organizations that are serving really marginalized communities. I'm not going to gut them. That is me giving back to the community, literally almost volunteering my time to be able to help these communities that don't get the money. It's like, look, I have sat on several grant panels and ugh, it really drives me crazy to think about the, the New York City grant panel that I sat on because talk about inequity. They were funding these organizations that already had access and privilege and they had the access and privilege to be able to know how to write a grant or hire somebody who could, hire somebody like me who knew how to do it. And then meanwhile, you had these grassroots organizations in Harlem that were all black. They were all of them, invariably all of the ones that were, that, and they didn't like some of these people that didn't, didn't have access to a college education, or if they did, it was like community college someplace. They'd never learned how to write grants or, or even write in that style or have access to learn how to write in that style or even have the time to be able to go to workshops to learn how to write in that style. They're living in poor neighborhood, poor neighborhoods and marginalized communities and struggling. And they're trying to bring art to their community. Because they didn't know how to write a grant, they didn't get funded, even though the work was clearly deserving of being funded. Everything like in the supplementary material that they provided was like, they are helping people, man. But because they didn't know how to write a grant, they were cut out. And I was furious, furious at it. Like, what do you do? And I called them out on it, to which their response was, this is not a hard grant to write. They can learn how to write how to, in this style and write in a way. It, it, no. it takes hours. It takes hours for even the most basic grant yes. to put like a proposal together. Yes. And it was like this incredible, I was uh, like the priv level of privilege was, was disgusting to me. Right. And like there, there's new leadership over there at the, and I'm just going to say it, it's the DCA, the Department of Cultural Affairs, the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs. Right. And now they've got with Gonzalo Casals, he's a man of color, gay man of that. It's looking like he's going to do some ground up changes there. And God, I hope so, because that was infuriating. Like these people who deserved the money, like lost it for people who that were invariably white and were able to like get this funding because they knew how to write a grant and they were eloquent in their writing 
of, and they had access to people like me. And I was just like, ah, I like, I literally wanted to like go to every single one of those organizations and go like, I'm willing to volunteer for you and write your grant next time because I'm so pissed off right. that you didn't get the funding. Right. And in the meantime, you're like helping these people who wouldn't have art access to, to can't go to a Broadway show. They don't have the money to like blow $500 on a ticket to go to a Broadway show. And they're creating art for themselves, like really, truly helping the community. There was one group that like uh, during the summer does Friday and Saturday uh, live jazz on the stoop of their church, right? In the middle of Harlem. And they have pictures of like hundreds of people just like this is, they're all gathering outside, like listening to them play and having, they set up a barbecue on the corner and like are listening to this jazz. And it's like, you know, they're creating art for these people and they, they're not getting funded. They're not getting funded. Right. And it's just, I, I well, it just makes. Well, cause you know. another, another thing that I feel like if you, if you start a nonprofit this year, maybe I'm wrong about this. Like you're not going to get a grant. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, you have to have two years worth of, two to three years worth of uh, of financial history to show. You have to suffer through two years. Well, three, just in order to be able to apply to grants, which, by the way, are so complicated, you really need to hire people and pay them $1,000 to write your grant in order to get the grant, because other not, otherwise you're not. Anyway. Yeah, and see, and this is like, okay, and this is where, you know, we talked about earlier about like how my about how like I have given a lot of stuff away for free because it's partly about of my, my I'm dealing with my own sort of like low self-esteem around funding and, and money and about that I somehow don't deserve to get paid. And this is where, and this is the hard part, right? I'm now to the point where it's like, I don't have the time to not get paid to volunteer too much. Or if you can pay, you definitely are gonna pay because I need the money. If you want that, if you want that, you better pay for it because you get what you pay for. But there are still times when I will de- just give it away because of stories like that, because it's just like this, this, this systemic inequity cannot stand. And I need to be able to use my privilege, like what little privilege I have to be able to at least do that, do something like that. The problem is, is that now, especially the older that I get, there's more of a price to pay, both physically and mentally, for doing that. Who doesn't get helped when I do that? It's usually me. <laughs> right. Like I'm usually the one who has to pay that, that subsidiary price. You know, I'm having real come to Jesus moments or come to Buddha or come to Allah <laughs> moments. Even though you said you're open to helping worthy causes, I will say that only reach out to Ariel to write your grant if you're going to pay him for it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Which is just the way it works. Like you... You just have to. Yeah. I mean, it has to be, they have to be really suffering for me to do it for completely for free. Really, like, I can't. But if you've been around for three years and you want to try to get a big grant, reach out to Ariel. <laughs> and I, I will say this too about grant running. There is one more sort of interesting tidbit that I was taught once that I absolutely find true is that budgets are magic. They're literally a magic spell because it is something that stands for something else, right? It's symbols that stand for something else. And what they stand for are what your priorities are. Uh, we're seeing the absolute darkest of magic with how 45 looks at his budget and what he values. But you see it in small organizations, right? You see what they value in what they choose to fund and what they choose to spend their money on. And like, especially with small arts organizations, there's no money to spread around. So you really see what they value. It's, it is magic because you get to see who they're really trying to help with those budgets. And as a grant writer, I, that's essentially what I try to do whenever I'm asked to do the budgets with a caveat that please have your treasurer check this because I'm terrible at math. Uh, right? I am terrible at math and I'm terrible at money. So um, they, or I'm getting better at money. I'm trying to change my language about that, uh, that I'm getting 
constantly better about money. And you're helping our listeners get better about money, too. Thank you. Also, <laughs> if nothing else, if you can't be a, a shining example, you can be a dire warning. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I'll leave it to you to figure out, listeners, if I, which one I am at which point. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. Well, I mean, you have you're just you have so much going on. It's crazy. We we've had some great examples and bad examples, but once again, how do you even decide who's great and who's not? Like, is great just somebody that's financially at peace, <laughs> or has it, or is great how many people that they've helped through that work? Yeah, you know, yeah, including themselves. Yeah, uh, it's just I I really hope in this time that this is one of the things that we learn to value. Value isn't just seen about the financial return that you get, that there's also a return in terms of money. Because I did the, the training at the Broadway League's Commercial Theater Institute. I was in their Emerging Producers program, but I realized the day that I never want to do work in commercial theater, and then I knew that I wanted to work in nonprofit theater specifically. I was one of the few people in there that actually came from a theater background. There were maybe three or four other people in this 30-member cohort. Because you need money, not theater experience. Exactly. And these were mostly doctors and lawyers and bankers who had retired early because they made their pile and said, I'm going to get out. I'm going to get out now because I've, made his, I've done the numbers and I know this is how much I need to, to just sort of live comfortably for the rest of my life. And they made it early and they were almost, all mostly under 40. Some of them were even younger than that, which was like, ugh. I'll never forget it. I remember seeing, we saw If Then. My first thought about it is, oh, I loved it. It was like, okay, this wasn't a traditional Broadway show, but they were really taking a risk and the music was really good. The acting was really good. Uh, the book was, book was decent. You know, they really took a risk and to do something that wasn't just sort of normal Broadway fare. Invariably, the comment that I got from everybody and the thing that we hated it, why on earth would they do something so commercially unviable? It was not, this is not going to make money at all. Why on earth did they want to produce this? And these were, bear in mind, these were people uh, at the very beginning and the intros. And they said, oh, uh, I'm comfortable now and I really want to sort of give back and I want to do something creative and make some art. <laughs> right? And these are doctors and lawyers and bankers. Yeah. And like, but that was the response to actually something that was artistic and something that daring and took risks. And I was like, I never want to see you people again and never want to work with people like you again. This is disgusting. This is, maybe that's super judgmental of me that they just, hey, they just want to make money. Uh, again, it's the Broadway machine, right? It's not really about art mostly there. Occasionally you get uh, this wonderful confluence of where it is actually artistic and also makes money, but it's so rare, right? And it's so cynical and so calculated. You know, I, I don't want to be involved in that <laughs> at all, right? It's rough. I mean, commercial theater is not, it's definitely not for someone like me. Amazing. I'm glad you said all that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you so much. You're very welcome. That was our interview with Ariel Estrada. My takeaways were, your company needs to be operating for at least two years in order to apply for grants. You need to hire someone to write grant applications in order to get big grants. And finally, if you reach out to Ariel or any freelance grant writer, be willing to pay them for their time. They are generous with their time and energy as they have a passion to help nonprofit companies, but please be respectful and pay them fairly for the value they bring to you. That's it for today. Until next time, break a leg. Thank you for listening to Artistic Finance. Find more information on our website, artisticfinance.com. Please subscribe to our podcast and please leave a rating and review. Artistic Finance is produced in New York City by Nicole and Ethan Steinle. Producing consultant Anne Nygren-Doherty. Graphics and website by Josh Cutler. 
Music by Chang Liu.